Welcome to Bible Insights with Wayne Conrad. God's Word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. Today's topic, Jesus Christ, the Incarnate Word. The prologue to John's Gospel begins with the declaration that the Word was ever with God and, in fact, was God. Also, by the eternal Word, creation came into being. Verse 17 of John identifies this word as Jesus Christ. John asserts that the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. To be a Christian is to make from the heart the earth-shattering confession of John of Thomas when he said to Jesus, My Lord and my God. John 20, verse 28. Listen to John as he presents before us Jesus Christ, the incarnate word. From John chapter 1, verse 1, verse 14, and following. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and Word was God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. Referring to the historical witness of the forerunner of the Messiah, John the Baptist, he writes, John bore witness of him and cried out, saying, This was he whom I said, He who comes after me has a higher rank than I, for he existed before me. For of his fullness we have all received, and grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth were realized through Jesus Christ. He concludes his introduction with these astonishing words in verse 18. No man has seen God at any time. The only begotten God, who is in the bosom of the Father, he has explained them. New American Standard Bible. The New International Translation of this verse reads, No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son, who is himself God, and is in closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. The teaching of the Incarnation is the focus of verse 14. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us, full of grace and truth. This is the great declaration for which the Gospel of John was written. It tells us that startling truth, that God became a man. He became a human being. In fact, as we learn from the witness of Matthew, Luke, and the Apostle Paul, he was a Hebrew Jewish male born of Mary in the lineage of Abraham and of David. This is something new. Astonishing but true that the eternal word of God did enter our history as a man so that men and women and children could see him. In him, people could behold God's glory and God's grace through his life, his miracles and teachings, and above all else, his death, burial, and his resurrection, ascension. Interestingly, John chapter 1, verse 1 and verse 14 are parallel verses. The first verse speaks primarily of Jesus Christ as God. And verse 14 says in equally certain terms that Jesus the Christ is man, that is, human. At a given point in time, God the Son, the eternal word, the Logos, took upon himself human nature. He became a real human, yet a sinless, perfect man. As man, he was holy, harmless, undefiled, and separate from sinners. Hebrews 7.26. Yet we must not make the mistake of thinking he ceased to be God. God cannot cease to be, 
nor can the essence of God be fractured, nor can God ever lose his attributes, although he can veil them and voluntarily not exercise him, assuming the role of a servant, Philippians 2, 6 and 7. His deity, though veiled in human flesh, was never laid aside. What happened at the Incarnation is the Word, the Son, became what he was not previously, a man without ceasing to be what he always was and is, eternal God. As Paul wrote in 1 Timothy 3.16, Great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh. And the Word became flesh. The infinite became finite. The invisible became tangible. The invisible God in the second person of his triune being became visible so that it could be said, in him dwells all the fullness of deity and bodily form, Colossians 2.9. Our Lord's humanity was very real. As the incarnate word, he increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man, Luke 2.52. The duality of natures, divine and human in one person, is clearly taught throughout the scriptures in both the First Testament and the New Testament. Isaiah wrote, chapter 9, verse 6, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. This verse teaches us that the Messiah was to be one who was always God's son and who became a man at a given point in time. Hence, as a child he is born, but as a son he is given. Paul echoes the same truth in Romans chapter 1, verse 3 and 4. Concerning his son Jesus Christ our Lord, who is made of the seed of David according to the flesh, and declared to be the Son of God according to the Spirit of Holiness by the resurrection from the dead. Jesus was made the seed of David according to the flesh, but he was declared always to have been God's Son. We must not make the mistake of thinking Jesus was merely a divine man or merely a human God. Jesus is the God-man. He's not a divine man. He's not a human God. He is fully and uniquely God, and at the same time, being a perfect man. He is God with us, Emmanuel. This union of the two natures in the one person of Christ was necessary for him to fulfill the office of mediator. It was a necessity for him to be, so he could be the Savior. First Timothy 2.15 states, For there is one God, and one mediator between God and human beings, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom. The word became flesh. He assumed human nature without ceasing to be God. He became the God-man, at the same time perfect God and perfect man, an absolutely unique person. Why are these truths so utterly important? Why, in particular, is the humanity of Jesus Christ so important? There are a number of reasons. Principally, the incarnation made it possible for Jesus Christ to die. A true flesh and blood body made it possible for him to lay down his life for the sheep. He came to earth to die as our sacrifice for our sin and transgressions. There are a number of verses that teach this great truth. John 10, 11, 14 through 15, Matthew 20, 28, 1 Peter 2, 24 and 25. Secondly, 
the eternal Son of God became man in order to qualify as our high priest. As such, he must be a man who can be touched with the feelings of our infirmities. Jesus knew and experienced what it meant to be a man. He suffered in his human nature and accomplished the perfect will of God. Hebrews 5, 1 through 10, and Hebrews 2, 10 through 18, tell us these truths. Thirdly, by living a perfect, sinless human life, subject to the trials and temptations, even the direct assaults of the devil, Jesus, acting as representative man like Adam of old, did qualify for the death he died as the substitute for humans. Jesus, as a man who always listened to the Father and who obeyed him, has also provided us with an example of how life that is fully pleasing to the Father can be lived. He is our pattern for godliness or holiness upon which our Christian life is to be constructed. Let me draw your attention to a very interesting phrase found in verse 14. It says, the word came to dwell among us. He would dwell among us. Literally, the word means to dwell in a tent. So we could translate this verse, and the word was made flesh and pitched his tent among us. Or, and the word was made flesh and tabernacled among us. God dwelt in a tabernacle in the midst of Israel in the Exodus pilgrimage and in the early settlement in Israel. Later, he dwelt in the temple in Jerusalem between the cherubim in the Holy of Holies. But God's, John's use of this verse, uh, this term, tabernacle, he's exerting God himself was among us in the person of Christ. The tabernacle and all of its furnishings and functions was designed to communicate spiritual truth and to prefigure Jesus Christ. These are some wonderful parallels that help us grasp the significance of the incarnation of the eternal word. First parallel, the tabernacle was the center of Israel's camp. Everything revolved around the tent of God's presence. In like manner, Jesus Christ, the incarnate word, is the gathering place of his people. Jesus said, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men, all people, unto me. John 12, 32. Second, the tabernacle was the place where the covenant law with Israel was preserved. The tablets of God's ten words were put within the Ark of the Covenant. Jesus kept the law of God perfectly, and in him God's law shines forth in its absolute purity. In fact, he is the greater lawgiver. He is the fulfillment of the law and the prophets. Because the tabernacle was the place where God dwelt among his people, it was also the place of revelation and the place where the people of Israel worshipped. It was referred to as the tent of meeting. It was the place where God met with man and spoke to them. And in the presence of God, and so often in response to his revelation, they worshipped him. Jesus Christ reveals God to men and women. We cannot see God. Yet God is revealed perfectly to us in the face of Jesus Christ. He is the expressed image of God's invisible person. Through Jesus, we have access by one spirit unto the Father. He is provided by his shed blood and the gift of his spirit access to the throne of grace. What John is saying to you and to me is that if we are to know God, then we must come to know Jesus Christ. 
It is in beholding Jesus that we see the grace and glory of God. He is the way to the Father. Do you know him in the commitment of faith that results in eternal salvation? As a hymn writer, George Doan expresses it. You are the way to you alone from sin and death we flee, and he who would the Father seek must seek him, Lord, by thee. Amen. This has been Wayne Conrad with Bible Insights. And the next time, remember Jesus, the incarnate Word of God.